Sirius XM Radio is better with Bogle Wines. 70s on 7, 80s on 8, better with Bogle. Alt Nation, Hip Hop Nation, Hair Nation, better with Bogle. Madison, Howard, Andy Cohen, better, better, better. Y2 Country, Prime Country, Carrie's Country, yep, all better. The Beatles Channel is better, and getting better all the time. Everything on Sirius is better with Bogle. Award-winning family-owned wines ranked as some of the finest available for around 10 bucks. As long as you're not driving, it's better with Bogle. Bogle Family Vineyards, Clarksburg, California. Please drink responsibly. Welcome back to Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Kara Brown. And I'm Louis Bertel, the Empress of Caucasia. You know what? <laughs> we weren't doing insane intros, and you were always ruining it. Trying to keep it professional up in here. I am. That's on my business cards. All right. We have a lot going on this week, so we're going to jump right into it. We're going to talk about Cynthia Nixon running for governor. We're going to talk about Snapchat crossing Rihanna and the Kardashians. And then we're going to have a visit from the Shade Court and Travel Anderson from the LA Times will join us to discuss the new film Love, Simon. And we'll close things out with an interview with the true winner of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star Season 3, Shangela. Is this a big day for you, Lewis? A big day for Mirandas everywhere? I can't believe it's happening to me. <laughs> I'm singing a moment like this to myself. <laughs> uh, Cynthia Nixon leapt into the race for governor of New York on Monday, and it's setting off what promises to be a tumultuous six months as she challenges sitting governor Andrew Cuomo. The news obviously launched a bunch of sex in the city jokes, but let's talk about this seriously. <laughs> um, is Cynthia Nixon, you know, another case of, oh, here's an Oprah deciding, you know, like, maybe I'll get into politics, or is this for real? Well, I think that Cynthia Nixon and Oprah are operating on a different level than, like, the Stacey Dashes of the world. Like, they're sane people. They're qualified people. They're both smart people. And so I think even as much as, like, the Oprah thing was a joke about her being running for president, like, sort of the reason it even gained traction because we were like, oh, it's not like this woman isn't a smart person who, like, feasibly could maybe – do a good job with this. So I feel like Cynthia Nixon occupies a different space. People take her seriously. She's actually been in the last few years like getting involved in politics and activism. So it's not, you know, the leap that others are making down in Compton. Also, furthermore, she's been a public schooling advocate for years and years, at least since I've been in college. That's like 10 years ago or two years ago, I mean. And <laughs> And uh, her wife, Christine Marinoni, big LGBT uh, activist. So it's very crazy to me when I see people referring to her as just like another celebrity running for office. Like, well, she she's not like a celebrity running for office. And she's also a lifelong New Yorker. So that's really exciting. I'm so old. I remember in 2016 when we thought we were electing a Miranda to national office. And then that didn't happen. So karma, like the bitch character actress she is, has come back <laughs> around. And now the actual Miranda gets to be in office. It's like a fairy tale. Who would you think Trump is from Sex and the City? Oh, God. God. Like, the post-it note? I was, yeah. Yes. The actual note. <laughs> I was going to say Scooter, who Miranda dated in season one, who was oh, just disturbing. Scooter. He wasn't disturbing. Oh, God. I his... mean, he wasn't great, but poor Scooter. I think the post-it note is more accurate. She was yeah. so mean to him. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Miranda was so mean to Scooter. And that's when like the lapels on her jackets were just like feet long. Just for, <laughs> She dressed in like zoot suits originally. <laughs> So, Kara, you would then say that, like, these attacks on, you know, whether or not she's qualified to run are, you know, sexism creeping back up because we have another high-profile woman entering a politics game. Yeah, I mean, most things are always sexist, I would say. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I do understand because, like, I have some hesitation because, again, I'm worried that we're just, like, 
it's cool now for anyone who is just a well-known person to say that they want to be in charge of running the country. Like, I don't think that's a good precedent. And, you know, that's not something I really want to encourage. But it's not like she's the first person who had been in another field who has now decided to run for office. It does not seem that she did this on a whim. It seems that she's taking things seriously. Obviously, a lot of the attacks are sexist and just, like, dumb. Like, also, people love to make fun of things that women love and so I think the sort of sex in the city of it like the fact that it was sex in the city gives people a lot of fodder to sort of take it not as seriously and furthermore by the way it's a very suspicious time to have a problem with celebrities running for office when it's like are you putting Cynthia Nixon on the level with Donald Trump it's like what's the matter with you pay attention for two seconds she's more brilliant than him in most ways she literally won a Tony the other day so she's a very (laughs) capable she already beat her field let her let her take on another field Also, there's the idea that, like, Cynthia Nixon is coming in with this name recognition as a celebrity when, you know, Andrew Cuomo came in with the last name Cuomo. Right. You know, like, he certainly didn't appear out of the ether. And by the way, this bastard in one of these um, (laughs) interviews, his problem with her was that she's not a big enough celebrity to compete with him. He said something along the lines of, well, if it were an Angelina Jolie or a Brad Pitt or I believe he said Billy Joel was the third name. (laughs) Really down with the kids, this guy. Um, Saying that he would feel more threatened by that. And it struck me as an even more sexist version of what we were just talking about. He's such a (laughs) douchebag. To be be fair, I would not be shocked to find that Billy Joel, like, runs some small country somewhere. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What does he do now? Like one of those islands that, like, David Copperfield lives on. Just like their own planet type people. Does David Copperfield live on an island? Oh, he sure does. And does, brings did people he make to it. it disappear? Right. And <laughs> and reappear whenever he wants. Wow. That's the know, life. I don't know things about magicians. Uh, <laughs> but also there's some sort of excitement in, you know, a visible queer woman running for office too. I say queer woman because Cynthia Nixon has identified as bisexual, even though she doesn't love to use labels from the last interview I saw with her. You know, so people were quick to being like, a lesbian's running for office, but she's not a lesbian. Right. But this would be the first queer woman to be a governor of a U.S. state. So, I mean, if that doesn't excite you, I mean, defibrillate yourself. What's the matter with you? Um, And then, (laughs) secondly, there's something inherently exciting just about her. Miranda as an entity is just, I say this apart from the character, Cynthia Nixon, who she is in all of her movies. And by the way, this goes back to Little Darlings in the 70s starring Tatum O'Neill and Christy McNichol. If you're looking for gay cred, I mean, if you say those two names out loud, I think the Trevor Project just gets a donation automatically. (laughs) So I am effing psyched for her. I liked her video of her, like, her campaign announcement video of her strolling down the steps of the subway. (laughs) And then, like, this train breezed by and her hair blew because it literally looked like an episode of Sex and the City. I love New York. I've never wanted to live anywhere else. But something has to change. I'm Cynthia Nixon. I'm a New Yorker. And together, we can win this fight. People probably saw them filming that, and no one's mind jumped to, oh, Cynthia Nixon's running for office. They were like, Sex and the City 3? Right. (laughs) They replaced Kim Cattrall? Gene Smart would have been ready. I will say that during a press junket for the upcoming season of Legion, of which Jean Smart is a cast member, I asked her if she no, would replace Ira. Kim Cattrall on Sex in the City, and she's, she laughed and said, do people want that? <laughs> yes! And then she said, um, it would be a lot of fun, but with how raunchy the show is, she doesn't know if she'd want her kid to watch it. Please, excuse me. I remember Jean Smart in the Brady Bunch movie where she played the slutty neighbor. You are more than capable. <laughs> well, do you think Sarah Jessica Parker now is super pissed because the movie is definitely not happening? Like, it was one thing if they could, like, get around the Samantha aspect of it, but they definitely can't do Sex in the City 3. She can't without... be shooting Sex in the City 3 while also running for right, governor. Exactly. I'm picturing Cynthia Nixon being like, you know what? I can do this movie, but if it's not a yes now, I do have to take over the planet. I do. <laughs> The one thing I will say about the subway ad is that the criticisms that I've seen pop up of Nixon's initial, you know, campaign 
are valid in the sense that like the only issue that's on her website right now is like Cuomo's MTA. <laughs> and I get it. The subway system fucking sucks. Uh, <laughs> whenever I go back to New York, I do not ride it anymore. And I lived there for five years and it was a nightmare then. It's worse now. But New York City is not all of New York. And there are, you know, reasonably people in upstate who are like, okay, we don't give a fuck about the MTA. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do for us? Yeah. So I think focusing on that and also just focusing on, it's sad to say just because, like, we're in the Donald Trump of it all and we need to focus, you know, on midterm elections too. Like, it feels like part of her campaign is going to also have to be like, Vote for me, but also, like, let's focus on flipping these other states, too. You know, it just can't be a whole Cynthia Nixon razzle-dazzle. Just to fix the subways. She ran for governor only to fix the subways. (laughs) Just to be clear, it's always been all Cynthia Nixon razzle-dazzle in my head for years. (laughs) So if that becomes the outer world, too, even for a second, I'll be happy. Speaking of Cuomo, though, now that Cynthia Nixon is running, he decided to get things moving on the Harvey Weinstein case uh, so that he would get back in the news. He has ordered a review of... Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan District Attorney's 2015 sexual assault case against the movie mogul. You know, a lot of people have said that that case was mishandled. A lot of people have been calling for someone to do something, Time's Up in particular. And, you know, I find it convenient that he ordered the review the same day that Cynthia Nixon announced she was running for governor. Again, Andrew Cuomo is like a douchebag. Like he just I do I don't even have like super clear memories of like him being my governor when I lived in New York, but it was just every time I did it was something stupid where I was like this dude again, this dude really so it makes sense. Mind you, not to give him too much credit. I am psyched as to what this could possibly mean, what we'll find out now that he's lifting these NDAs, et cetera, right? Right. Well, that's the bankruptcy. That's the bankruptcy. Oh, that's different, yes. um, In conjunction with this, the Weinstein Company has now filed for bankruptcy, um, which means that all of the NDAs are now null and void. (laughs) So anyone who has had any dealings (laughs) with Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein Company, they're now free to speak. Just anybody in get any in, movie from 1998, I want to hear the truth. Get in line, ladies. Hold it. Can we do like a town hall style? Like just one at a time, like a pageant maybe? Everyone yes. gets to, like I am ready. I am ready. Just like Night of a Thousand Stars where instead of presenting a ball gown, they just walk up to a mic and tell a horrifying story and walk away. Yeah, yeah I feel bad because the stories will definitely be terrible, awful things. But just to have this asshole dragged through the mud even again is something I'm fine with. It's also just, we still kind of don't understand or we haven't wrapped our heads around the scope of how much he has done. So it's like, I want, I hope this will give us a better grasp of that. And I hope people feel encouraged to speak out because of it. Well, in particular, we've mostly been hearing from, you know, high profile women. And I feel like the NDAs have really been affecting people who are like assistants mm-hmm. or, you know, other employees of the company. So I feel like the scope will be realized once we start to figure out, like, oh, what was the day-to-day like at the Weinstein Company? Mm -hmm. I also hope, like, as much as all of this news coming out, you hope that, like, okay, that's the end of Harvey Weinstein, that's the end of Kevin Spacey or whoever. Like, as I've always said, like, these rich white men find a way. They find a way to get back in. You can look at Mel Gibson, who to me is the craziest example that he just, like, gets to make movies now and no one cares. You look at Woody Allen, it's tons of them. So even as much as I was like, yeah, Harvey Weinstein, he's cooked, some small part of me was like, we have seen people like him weirdly rise from the ashes again. And so I just hope, like, this is also the final nail in the coffin of, like, this is it. You were done. Goodbye. It's like Michael Myers. I mean, you think, didn't you just fly out the window and were decapitated in the last movie? And then, <laughs> oh, wait, there's no body on the ground. <laughs> no, I mean, I saw people watching Daddy's Home, too, that Mel right? Gibson movie on the plane when we were going to South By. I'm like, and I just kept seeing clips of it, of Mel Gibson in a Christmas sweater. And all leathery. Having endearing moments with Mark Wahlberg and his son. I was like, this is just... 
Mark Wahlberg, who also right. <laughs> not a not a saint. <laughs> That's right, the Funky Bunch crimes against humanity. <laughs> now, of course, we're talking about you know his his um, hate crime, his hate yes. crime when he was you know in a youthful gang. But I Which he think... tried to have like expunged from his record totally as if it didn't happen, like sometime in the past seven or eight years. He did. He actually tried to have it expunged because he and his brother Donnie were opening up Wahlburgers, their um, fast food chain, and in trying to get liquor licenses and things, he just figured that having this mark on his record would be a strike against him. But then it wasn't a strike against him, and so he just never renewed the paperwork to have it expunged. So it's still on his record, just because he forgot about it. We win, I guess. <laughs> Excuse me, he makes like nine figures a year, never mind. And so this just happened, which means that we're about to start finding out all sorts of interesting things about the Weinstein Company, its financials, its dealings, like... Just now, um, before we started to record, it was revealed that Mark Cuban had a 2.276 stake in the Weinstein Company. No No one knew about that at all. It's so surprising that he would have hidden douchebaggery. I can't believe it. (laughs) I don't know Mark Cuban at all. I thought we were friends. (laughs) (laughs) You just hate him because of Shark Tank. A little bit. I have to tell you, I never thought I'd be somebody who sat down and watched Shark Tank and like lapped it in. If I'm on a plane, though, I want it mainlined into my veins. It's amazing. Yeah. It's along the veins of like a bar rescue where it's like I could just have this on for literally hours and I could pay attention. I could not. And like my enjoyment level does not veer in either direction, whether or not I'm paying attention to the show or whether I've seen it in a year or two or not. It's about saving the lives, you know, of like middle Americans. It's basically Law and Order SVU without the assault. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And who? Um, Mariska. Mariska. Yeah. Without her. I feel like what would be great is if the Weinstein bankruptcy and all that comes from that, you know, along the lines of the Mark Cuban stuff, just reveals more terrible dudes who have done terrible things. Like even I feel like we maybe even have like capped out at horrible shit that Harvey Weinstein did. But there's probably a bunch of other men who helped him be a monster and I hope that like those guys get brought down too because those are the people like that's the insidious nature of this we're like yeah you get rid of Harvey Weinstein but there are people in Hollywood who are Harvey Weinstein-esque who are making women's lives terrible and you can't have any real change unless those people are also gone yeah I mean even if it's just how Harvey himself was enabled I still don't feel like we have the full scope of that either so that better be exposed and then turned into some sort of thriller where I can understand it on FX (laughs) One pitfall, of course, of the bankruptcy is the fact that, you know, bankruptcies take a long time. Like, some of its remaining employees um, are going to have to be let go, and it's going to be harder, possibly, for people who are trying to sue Harvey. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. Um, so, I feel like, I mean, get your coins by writing a book, I guess. <laughs> right. You know what show does bankruptcy well? Wheel of Fortune. It's just swift. It's over. There's a sound effect. <laughs> we move on. <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. 
And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Sirius XM Radio is better with Bogle Wines. 70s on 7, 80s on 8, better with Bogle. Alt Nation, Hip Hop Nation, Hair Nation, better with Bogle. Madison, Howard, Andy Cohen, better, better, better. Y2 Country, Prime Country, Carrie's Country, yep, all better. The Beatles Channel is better, and getting better all the time. Everything on Sirius is better with Bogle. Award-winning, family-owned wines ranked as some of the finest available for around 10 bucks. As long as you're not driving, it's better with Bogle. Bogle Family Vineyards, Clarksburg, California. Please drink responsibly. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like I have one mantra in life, and it is, don't piss off Rihanna. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, However, last week, Snapchat published an ad for the mobile game, Would You Rather? And it presented users with two options. You could either slap Rihanna or punch Chris Brown. I can't believe it. I think this is a top five snafu of the entire internet in its history. It's just, it literally is just a huge brand saying, let's play a game involving this person's past with domestic violence. (laughs) Well, Rihanna was not having it, of course. She took to Instagram Mm. and said, uh, now Snapchat, I know you already know you ain't my fave app out there. Um, If they weren't vanquished by that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Which I want to know the T on Rihanna already letting Snapchat know that she doesn't fuck with them. Uh, Yeah, because they know. She's like, you all know already. (laughs) She said, but I'm just trying to figure out what the point was with this mess. I'd love to call it ignorance, but I know you ain't that dumb. You spent money to animate something that would intentionally bring shame to domestic violence victims and made a joke out of it. Rihanna. Well, luckily there were no repercussions, right? Well, uh, (laughs) after her post, uh, Snapchat (laughs) stock went down nearly 4% of raising $800 million <laughs> from its market value. She is just an X-Men, just, and, and you're done. Lightning has hit you. <laughs> Goodbye. Kara, let's talk specifically about why this ad was so fucking offensive and why we still keep seeing so-called jokes about, you know, the whole Chris Brown and Rihanna incident. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear why it was ridiculously fucking offensive and disgusting. Um, I think that people also just don't take domestic violence very seriously. You can see that in the fact that almost every time some white man shoots up a school or somewhere, he has a history of domestic violence. And generally, if you took this behavior more seriously in men, you prevent them from doing crazier shit that harms more people. So like, as a society, we don't take domestic violence very seriously and like it's really clear and I think in particular you know like we feel like we can like joke around with celebrities and it's really weird how people continue to think that like they can make light of the stuff with Rihanna and Chris Brown and I don't know if it's you know it it was back in 2009 I don't know if it's so much time has passed that people 
don't feel as connected to it and the seriousness of it anymore. But people have always been fucking wild with that. And like she's always real quick to get them in order. And and mostly not even for her, which is something I appreciate. She's like, yo, like I'm good. You are being really disrespectful and triggering and harmful to other victims of domestic violence. Particularly who, her fans yeah. who are, you know, we look at, you know, statistics of women of color and, you know, domestic violence and, you know, abuse in this country, you know, those are Rihanna's fans. Yeah. And the idea that they would, you know, look to her as someone who's empowering because that happened to her and her life is great now is a good thing, yeah. you know? And so whenever those jokes pop up again, you know, I feel like her chief concern is, you know, the people who listen to her music. It's a way to make this woman feel small. It's a way to make this black woman feel small again. I think when people bring that up, like that was probably the lowest moment of her life and like to bring it up in a way that's meant to be like fucking funny or you're mocking her or whatever it's just like you're trying to make her small and it doesn't work because she's Rihanna bitch and fuck you also it's weird enough that this entity is telling people like hundreds of millions of people I know you want to punch Chris Brown as if that's going to solve whatever (laughs) domestic violence issues are going on in the country. It's like that's extremely strange. Like that kind of mob mentality towards like somebody we all agree like is a douchebag sucks, you know. Um, like, What's a Snapchat game? What is this even? What's even happening over there at Snapchat? (laughs) I don't know what that is. What are you doing? The only game Snapchat has is dicks. That's it. (laughs) It's the only game I want. (laughs) But it's not even a surprise that Snapchat would wild out like this because I feel like 2018 has just been like this whole hot mess of, you know, just ignoring domestic violence. I mean, we have the White House, you know, ignoring (laughs) and making excuses for Rob Porter, you know, after those allegations came out against him uh, where he was accused of domestic abuse by two of his ex-wives. John Kelly, chief of staff, came out and was like, I can't say enough good things about him. He's a friend, a confidant, and a trusted professional. It's like, this is the kind of rhetoric you're getting from the White House. So why wouldn't, you know, some app that kids aren't even using anymore try and use domestic violence for relevancy? And this is what you get Snapchat also for making that interface so goddamn confusing which i know they did on purpose i know it was purposeful i was like i kind of understand how technology works it's supposed to be intuitive i have been using a computer since i was 12 and i opened snapchat and like i literally can't even figure out how to do anything on this app and i have always hated you for that rihanna and i have always hated you for that no i'm glad that snapchat has fallen out of relevance with younger people because the app is too difficult for me to understand it's so hard Well, not even just, you know, this bullshit with Rihanna. Kylie Jenner tweeted, like, a few weeks ago, too, um, I don't use Snapchat anymore. (laughs) And then it stopped, tumbled (laughs) $1.3 billion. (laughs) I feel like, when you lost her... I mean, if your business model can, like, crumble because a Jenner, not even a Kardashian, mind you, a Jenner just sends out a tweet and Rihanna, like, does that text thing on an Instagram story on another competing app and your business just crumbles, like, I don't know, man, I've never had a tech company, but seems to me like that's not the way it should be running. Not financially solvent. No. Also, to be fair, I feel like Kylie Jenner wasn't using Snapchat because she was busy hiding her pregnancy for a year. Right. Oh, right. You <laughs> awfully convenient. Are women pregnant for a year, Ira? <laughs> Nine months. It's a year. It's not a year. Listen, a summer feels like seven years to me. I don't know time. Time's up. <laughs> Brilliantly done. In a world, I'm kidding, (laughs) but uh, in a world where headlines often try to claim every celebrity slight against another celeb is quote unquote shade, we have Judge Kara Brown here in a new Keep It segment called Shade Court, where she can decide what is or is not shade. Fans of Kara's from Jezebel will remember that The Shade Court originated there, and all of her original rulings are still in Jezebel's archives. They are. Judge Brown is in session, guys. All right. This week, we have Katy Perry allegedly throwing shade at Taylor Swift 
on American Idol. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to roll the clip. Do it. Who do you look up to as an artist? I'm sorry for this, Katie. Taylor Swift. Oh, you don't have to be sorry. I love Taylor Swift. I love her as a songwriter as, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Judge Brown, shade or not shade? So, we should just unpack this briefly for a second. Notice she said, so Katy Perry fucking hates Taylor Swift. I think we've made that they both made that very clear. They cannot stand each other. Uh, important background information to have. I liked how Taylor or uh, Katie specifically went out of her way, of course, to say, I love her as a songwriter. She doesn't love her as anything else. And, you know, I think it was she kind of messed with it again because at the end there because she made a face. Which, <laughs> you know, we got it, girl. The whole shade is subtle. Katy Perry can't help but making faces. She's never in her life been subtle. So I will forgive her for that because that's as subtle she's going to get. But I thought it was pretty shady. Not like expert shade, you know, kind of like rudimentary. But like, I'll take it. Also, Taylor Swift's songwriting is like literally the least. It's like the most banal thing that you can bring up about her. Like she, could, the only thing she could have said is like, "I like Taylor Swift as a blonde." Like that might have been <laughs> like slightly shadier, but but otherwise, like that's the one thing about Taylor Swift that even people who don't like her will be like, "Yeah, I guess the bitch can write some songs." So she took the least complimentable thing about her, and is that a word? Complimentable? Did oh, I, I think just, so. Did I just make that up? You're a judge. I'm going to use it because yeah, I'm Judge Brown. It's a word now. <laughs> also, no big deal. I happen to be recapping American Idol for Vulture at the moment, and I have to tell you, Katie does a really good job on this show. I actually, I recommend watching it. I wasn't somebody who was going to come back to the show, and now I'm fully in. We're striking that self promo. Oh my here. god! <laughs> this has been Shade Court. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> as a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Lewis and I are joined by Travel Anderson of the LA Times for a discussion about Love, Simon. Hello, darling. Hi, Travel. Hi. Thank you for coming back. Not a problem. Glad to be back with uh, Lewis this time. Mm-hmm. So we can intimidate each other face to face. So, first thoughts about this film. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I cry- I've seen it twice. I cried both times. It's, it's, it's a special film. It's. I went into it not knowing anything about it and not expecting much, and then it was enchanting, which is a word I almost refuse to use most of the time. There were so many characters that you didn't expect to be in the movie. You kind of thought it'd just be one gay guy learning to come out, but then there's all these queer characters around, and then they have dialogues with him that are make it uh, the movie more meaningful. And then you end up kind of wanting more from them because they're really special supporting people in this. Yeah, so this movie is essentially about Simon a teenager who has not come out yet. He's, you know, a year from graduating high school and their school has this sort of gossip girly blog and um, someone anonymously writes that they are in the closet on it and he starts messaging this person back and forth. So, you know, it becomes like the lake house only in real time (laughs) and without Sandra Bullock. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it was just I was particularly struck by how effortlessly diverse it was. I was not going into this, you know, white rom com. You know, right. you see this white boy from Central Casting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's Nick v- Ro- Nick very Robinson. Ansel Elgort looking. Yes, uh, it's like you could have picked him out of the cast of Riverdale. Very you much know? so, actually. Um, and so I was not expecting going into the movie seeing so many like but there's a world around him of people of diverse background and that surprised me when i first saw it um and i i visited i was able to visit set last year when they were filming Mm -hmm. and even then i was like oh while it is historic on one level it is also kind of effortlessly diverse reflecting this kind of high school world that you know the film is trying to be totally in this movie the way these characters interact it's something that a lot of my friends who came out in high school had where they only knew one other person who was out, and that was their entire understanding of what gayness is, this one other person who happened to have been out since he was 13. It really made me want a movie about that person, somebody who's been out when they're 13, because those kids have to be like grown up so young. They have to know so much so young and just mature really quickly, and so I hope we get that. I hope I write it. I hope we all write it. <laughs> um, Greg Berlanti, I love him. I've loved him love. since Dawson's Creek. Love. But, you know, he's a white gay male, and he yes. tells his story. And I love that, honestly, I feel like this was one of the more diverse things he's put on the air, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I really loved so much of this story, and I hope that he can help or, you know, Fox... I'm really shocked that they did this movie and put so much marketing power behind it, too. Um, I want to, you know, shepherd other people to tell the stories of the characters who are side characters. Right, and I I just, you know, give a shout-out to Becky Avertali, who wrote the book, Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, that the story is based off of, and she's turned the book into kind of a series of stories. Okay. so maybe we will get, you know, a a sequel. Um, Maybe we won't. (laughs) But it's the options out there. Travel just closing, like, what do you think this means in terms of the future of, you know, sort of queer storytelling as opposed to a Call Me By Your Name? Ooh. Well, I hope it means that we just get more stories with queer people just, like, living everyday lives, being teenagers, being grown folks, just existing. The audience didn't really show up to the film, you know, its first weekend, but hopefully more people will talk about it and they'll discover it in the weeks to come, and that will make, you know, the major studios think it's worthy to keep doing. And it's hard, you know, realistically, you know, like, the audience that this movie is targeting if they're young and in high school and not out, they're probably not going to go see this movie. Right. Or they probably went to go see Tomb Raider or they went to go yeah. see Black Panther for a 12th time or yeah. you know, whatever you know, it may be. And that's the thing. you know, If we're going to keep telling queer stories like this, a love Simon is nice, but we should have queer versions of a superhero movie, right. you know, of a horror movie, of an action movie. Because those are the films that teenagers want to see. Exactly. Um, so, you know, melt the two. And by the way, it's not like it made no money. You know, I would say it's probably it made what people expected. Like it... it, it got like a a, a B minus is what I would say that turnout is. But the word of mouth has been so good that hopefully it will actually accelerate in weeks to come. All right. Go see Love, Simon. If you have not seen it, um, check out Simon versus the Homo Sapiens as well, the book series that it's based on. And I just want to also thank Travel Anderson, the LA Times, for joining us again. Thank you for having me. And when we're back... Kara, Lewis, and I will do a round of Keep It. And now, our favorite part of each episode, it's time for Keep It. Kara, why don't you tell us what you're keeping this week? So what I am keeping this week is a apology from a company called Left Bank Productions. So they are the company that produces The Crown for Netflix. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, the producers revealed that the star, the queen, the one in the show who wears the crown, Claire Foy, was paid less than her co-star, Matt Smith who was on some Sherlock show. I don't know, whatever. Doctor That was, whatever. (laughs) That's how they tried to justify paying the queen of the show less money, this woman, than this man. And they released an apology 
apology and they were they basically were saying like you know stop coming after the actors for this because they didn't do anything and they didn't he didn't necessarily know how much money she was making and vice versa and they were like you know we hope to blah blah we hope to like do work with our job with Time's Up UK or some shit like that. And basically, I am saying these apologies, first of all, you knew what you were doing and you were the ones who also told everyone that you were paying him more than her. So, but these apologies to me mean nothing without an action item. So, are you donating money to Time's Up? Are you going to give her retroactively enough money to make up for the fact that you were underpaying her for the last couple of seasons? Otherwise, like, I don't know what you want me to do with this apology. And like generally in these situations when you are paying women less than men, the easiest way to rectify it is to just give them the damn money. That's all, you, that's all you need to do. Cut a check. That is you literally fixed the problem if you cut a check. The apology does nothing to me. You can keep that. And by the way, it's the most like expensive TV show of all it's, time or something. Yes. Yeah, certainly on Netflix. It's like a show made out of Fabergé eggs. So it like shouldn't crazy. be that problem. Million yeah. an episode. Like, yeah. It's, it's so much money. And like I, you know, I wasn't even I watched the first two or three episodes of The Crown and I was like, do I care about these white people in England? Or and just I, anywhere. I feel the same way. Well, yeah, right. Oh, I care deeply. I did. Well, I didn't think I would. And then all of a sudden, I really cared. So I also got very invested in Claire it's Foy. so good. And she makes that show good. Like, his character, he kind of sucks anyway. But Claire Foy grounds that show. She has the best performance. She makes that show amazing. She was the only one getting nominated for awards the last couple of seasons. So, like, you know that she's a valuable asset to the show. And you need to treat her like it. Lewis, uh, what are you keeping this week? My keep it is to Jim Carrey kind of just in general, I have to say. I feel like he's just an off, <laughs> off the deep end narcissist who like doesn't get called out for being one. But um, recently he was in the news because I don't know if you know this. He's an artist now. But uh, he uh, is like a painter. Usually he does like graphic arts, I guess. But uh, he also does political art in the side. I, my eyes are rolling so hard. He did a painting of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which some thought was sexist since it sort of made her look like a monster. And I just want to say it is it is sexist. It's like a disgusting portrait. But what I want to say, especially keep it to, is if you look at his other art, he did like a portrait of Marco Rubio, literally with blood on his hands. Just the most like earth shatteringly bad art of all time. His political cartoons are quite asinine. His caption was this so-called Christian makes a habit of lying for the White House. Monstrous. <laughs> As if she were a declared non-Christian, it'd be way more adorable. Also, I'm just going to say it. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is my favorite thing your grandma says instead of swear words. Just, <laughs> Sarah Huckabee Sanders. <laughs> it's a fun name to say, damn it. My keep it this week is for a special brand of political person who <laughs> likes to play both sides of the fence when it comes to we have to be nice, you know, to the Trump family, you know, who is destroying the fabric of the universe and also our democracy by not making jokes about Donald Trump Jr.'s divorce. And affair. Oh, please. And affair. <laughs> it's like he, looks- he has five kids is like the refrain that people keep putting on the internet. But weeks ago, weren't people making and still making Stormy Daniels jokes and nobody's bringing up Barron. Right. Also, people generally, let's just assume that this is not some plan to just like save their money for when he inevitably goes to prison. Like divorce is people don't get divorced because they think their lives are going to get worse. Like if she actually was like, I don't want to be married to him anymore. It's because she hopes ultimately things will be better. It's usually better for the kids. Divorce generally is good for everyone. So even if we're taking like, oh, this is a serious, you know, family situation, like it's for the best. Do you know what else is good for everybody? Making fun of the Trumps. Do you know what he looks like? If a Menendez brother were ugly. That's what he looks like. (laughs) He also, you know, routinely retweets white supremacist tweets and And other racist things. And he's just, he's a rude monster. And now it's come out that he's allegedly, (laughs) allegedly, uh, had an affair with Aubrey O'Day. Former singer of both incarnations of Danny D. Kane and the spinoff group Dumb Blonde. <laughs> With only one B. <laughs> one B. And I'm making jokes about it, all right? Because 
straight people have been making Stormy Daniels jokes for weeks, and I am going to make a joke about someone who was in Danity Kane. Also, Also, it's funny. It's very funny. Plus, there's something extra sleazy about using your dad's reality show to get with, like, B-list Right, because Aubrey was a contestant on The Celebrity Apprentice, which people forget also that Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump were basically co-hosts of that show because there were long stretches where Trump just couldn't be bothered to be in the courtroom during the week. And so they had to deliberate and decide who was getting fired. Do you want my Aubrey O'Day story quickly? Please tell Which us. Which is that um, when I was living in New York and I worked at a PR firm and one of the events we were doing was like a post-show thing for Celebrity Apprentice. So the season had wrapped. It was Aubrey season. So we're back in the green room. And I'm just like trying to do my job. And she starts yelling at me from across the room like, girl, look at you in that dress. She was like, ooh, you're out here trying to find a husband. And she must have said it like three times. She was like, I was like, no, you know, thanks. Okay. I'm just in like my little professional workwear. And she she was like, "Ooh, no, you're looking for a husband, which makes a lot more sense now that she had just come from Celebrity Apprentice because she was clearly looking for something on that show. I'm a little disturbed that she had such a flavorful tone. I didn't realize no, Aubrey O'Day was, kind of, was like was Laura like, from Family Matters. I know. I, pu- <laughs> I put my own spin on it, but honestly, she was talking. She was like putting like that kind of like yeah. sister girl edge oh. on it. And <laughs> like I'm talking to somebody black. Yeah, I'm she, down. Mm-hmm. I, was in, I worked like, for mm, Diddy. Uh-huh. Diddy kicked you out because you couldn't dance, though, girl. <laughs> You are not one of the people that he asked to join Diddy Dirty Money. Yes. <laughs> he asked the two black girls. Uh, that was another incarnation of Danity Kane, which a twofold to my keep it is I want people to stop pretending online that they don't know who Danity Kane is. All right. Damage when, is the jam. When you hear damaged, lemonade, you, you know, do you got a first aid kit handy? Mm-hmm. You know, showstopper. You know oh, that we're, that we're, we're in the car, we ride slow. You we know Danity Kane's yeah. song. Doing things, things that, that the, the boys, don't, yeah. uh, the girls don't do. Is it girls? It's girls. Okay. Well, you can things the it. boys don't do yeah, either. Uh, I do many things the girls don't do. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think that Aubrey O'Day is a fun, comical character. She's probably <laughs> super excited to be trending on Twitter, for one, <laughs> and was very excited that people also unearthed a song that she wrote called DJT from her solo album. <laughs> Uh, which people now assume is about Donald Trump. It kind of sounds like it. It's a sad torch song where with like four different spoken word interludes. It's barely a song. There's so much talking on that track. Whatever the truth is defines the reality of you and I forever. And I need to be able to define that before I can walk away. (sighs) I thought it was forever at the time. It's just like her having a muffled phone conversation with a man being like, you know, don't leave me, baby. Like, say that, you love, say that me. you love me. And then there's some warbling in between. Like she's like <laughs> Janet Jackson, Velvet Rope, just like full yeah. interludes between songs. And so, except the interludes are in one song. Uh, right, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I feel sad for her, too, because I did not know that song because the album flopped. But I was a fan of... You know, her other singles, Wrecking Ball and Automatic. And it's sad that those weren't the ones that were about Donald Trump Jr. Because, you know, she could have had an actual resurgence. Can you imagine, though, like, allegedly hooking up with Donald Trump, I mean, just uh, touching Donald Trump Jr., and then feeling strongly enough about him and that relationship that you would go write a whole ass, like... You walked into the studio. You walked into the studio. You recorded it. You heard it. You put it on an album, it, yeah, <laughs> and released it. It's the first song on the album too. It's the first track. Oh my god! For that man is something I quite literally and would never want to be able to even begin wrap my mind around making all those decisions. Somehow even grosser than Stormy Daniels' lawyer alleging this week that they have photos Ugh. of Trump's penis. I'm grossed out by all of this, and I don't want to hear about the Trump family or any more women that they've supposedly slept with. All of the, the features on my face are just falling off. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't look can't or it. hear any of that. Louis <laughs> is going to bust out of this sweater this morning. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's been Keep It. When we're back, an interview with Shangela. 
Trixie Mattel snatched the crown thanks to some shady queens on the season finale of RuPaul's Drag Race last week. But I am joined by Daenerys herself, the true winner, Shangela. Honey, let me tell you something. The battle may not have been won, but the war is still on for life. You can never give up. And that's always been my story coming into Drag Race. I walked in with the heart and the spirit of a winner, and I'm still blowing fire up in this bitch. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> so you moved here to become an actor. Yes. Um, you said that, I believe, on LGBTQ&A, my friend Jeff. Oh, I love Jeff, with. yeah. yeah. Uh, you said that you had moved here years ago to do the acting thing, and drag came after that. It did. I mean, drag has always been a part of my fabric, my DNA. I mean, mm -hmm. in high school, my book reports, instead of just writing the report, I would be like, can I act out a part as well and have a performance as part of my report? My teacher was like, sure. So I once for The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, I dressed up in drag and did a performance of Proud Mary, rolling, Jim and uh, Huck rolling down the river. <laughs> and my teacher loved it so much, she invited me back for four more periods to do it again. Now, I don't know if she was just entertained, but <laughs> I, like I'm going to let him do that again. It was fun. We had a Holocaust report once about a lady named Corey and Boom, who had sheltered a lot of those affected by the Holocaust in Holland, I think. And so I dressed up as Corey Tim Boom for my eighth grade project. I mean, took my grandma's pantyhose, put softballs in them, and performed as Corey, Corey, a Corey Tim Boom, you know? <laughs> so drag has always been a part of me, but entertainment was always the bigger part. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to work as an entertainer and as an actor. And so I did. I packed up my Explorer and moved west like eight years ago from Texas and did a little bit of background work and, you know, try to get my bearings as an actor out here. And after drag, I've been able to work now in and out of drag on shows like Two Bro Girls and Glee and Community, shows that I love to watch, mm -hmm. like X-Files. I beat down an alien with a purse. I know? saw you in the X-Files episode. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Tell me a bit about... Even auditioning or how it is being a working actor now, you know, you have in drag, you have out of drag. Like, do people tend to approach you and they're like, oh, we want you in drag more often than they're like, let's have you performing in a role out of drag? Well, the thing about, first of all, auditioning is, to me... If it's the role required, if asked for drag, because I audition for a lot of roles, and mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that they're writing more roles in drag that have you know more character depth and all that kind of stuff. So I love auditioning for those roles because it's mm -hmm. like you know I love getting up in drag and going and doing the role. But you have to, I think, for me as an actor, almost train or remind people that you can also work outside of drag because. You know, drag is fabulous and it's glamorous and people are very attracted to it, which I love. But people sometimes try to pigeonhole you and think, oh, that he's a drag queen. So all he can do is drag, mm -hmm. which when you're an actor and you develop characters, you can do lots of different things. And drag is just one element of my being and who I am, my character as Shangela. But there are so many other characters I love to do and explore as well. So you just sometimes have to remind them like, hey, boo, let me just come in for the role. Trust me. I got this. I can do it. <laughs> and I, I was very thankful I got to work uh, out of drag on Two Broke Girls. Um, I was out of drag in the film Hurricane Bianca. And we have the sequel coming out this summer, Hurricane okay. Bianca 2. And then I was in drag for the new movie A Star is Born uh, with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, which I'm so thankful I got a role in that. Uh, so it's it's just been fun to continue to work both ways. I did a web series with Jennifer Lewis based on our real life, which yeah. I'm the drag queen that lives in her basement. True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She'll say I don't pay rent, but I do pay rent. Uh, but that being said, that's in and out of drag. So, you know, I, I want to just continue to explore all of that. And so you stay booked and busy, too, you know? And blessed. And, uh, Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how is that when one thing that's really um, sort of hit me this season, I really loved seeing you in the finale with, you know, Kennedy and as well as Bibi, you know, because you rarely see, you know, three black, black queens Hallelujah. in the finale. And when you hear Kennedy talk a bit about, you know, how she doesn't have that many people at meet and greets and things, it's, do you find that you've sort of become one of the top tier sort of black queens on the show just because you've been in season two and three and you had sort of those iconic mm -hmm. moments? Do you notice some of that, you know, with like, because there'll be other girls, you know, like a Trixie or a Milk and they're not, you know, delivering what black queens deliver each season, but they get a really large fan base. 
Well, I'll say this. One thing about that statement is that a lot of people, especially if you're not black or African-American, you don't you don't pay attention sometimes to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Trixie probably didn't even think, oh, I'm in the uh, top four with three black girls, mm-hmm. you know, black queens. You don't. But growing up black in America, a lot of times you know that there are less opportunities than in the past have been for us. Mm-hmm. So it, even in school, you know, you're like, okay, they probably only going to pick one black person, so please, Lord, let it be me, you know? (laughs) Or you get to a room and you're like, okay, there are two of us, hey! And you're excited. And that's rare, and it's been rare, I think, with RuPaul's Drag Race as well. So a lot of times we would, me, B.B. Kennedy, would laugh about it, be like, girl, now you know all four of us, all three of us can't be in the top, (laughs) bitch. And then we got there, we're like, yes! Mm -hmm. But a lot of other people really don't see that because that's not their experience. So um, I don't want to take anything away from Mm -hmm. the girls, any of the other contestants. But it's amazing. I think it's amazing that on this show that, the three of us have excelled and done well and been judged on our character and, and our performances and what we've presented, as well as Trixie, who also deserves of to course. be there in the top four. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching the episode where Kennedy talked about, you know, not having as long a line or people receiving her differently. It's a true thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't, you know, recognize it or want to talk about it. But, you know, if a person of color says something in one way and the, someone else says it the same way, it gets taken differently because maybe that's a different type of humor or the way you come off. Mm-hmm. But I think the more we continue to evolve mm-hmm. with our generations, uh, the more we learn about each other, uh, the more unified we mm-hmm. are. And the less we see color and the more we just see the queen, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to see people hopefully receive Kennedy and BB. Uh, and myself, mm-hmm. uh, as well as they do, you know, other queens like Trixie and Milk and winners, you know, as well. What do you think the future of television, film, storytelling should have in regards to telling drag stories? You know, I remember growing up, my family watched, it was even long before I came out, um, but my family used to watch Tu Wong Fu oh, yes. all the time. Like, my family watched it all the time, and it wasn't even a thing of like, I don't even think they discussed, you know, whether or not the characters were even gay. Uh You know, they just, they loved Wesley Snipes in the movie. Well, people have a lot of times been entertained by whether it's the comedy of drag or the glamour with regard to comedy, you know, where the character may not have been gay, but still dressed in drag, like in Mrs. Doubtfire Mm -hmm. and in uh, the Clump series, Need I say Norbit or Big Mama's <laughs> House? Big Mama's House too. You know, even back in the day with Flip Wilson, who used to do his Geraldine character, that's drag. Yeah. You know, so people are a lot of times excited by the mystery of drag and all the things that go along with it. I hope they will continue to be, and I think that RuPaul's Drag Race though sheds a different light on drag because it not only gives you these comedy characters where their lives or situations are so different from yours, you're like, okay, that's cute, but I don't, you know, that's not my world, it's not Mm -hmm. something that's sexualized, but it humanizes us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most amazing part of, you know, being in the legacy of RuPaul's Drag Race is Mm -hmm. that the story of drag is more than just the character of drag. Mm -hmm. It gives a full, well-rounded human a person that you can identify with that has gone through similar situations, maybe have similar family situations or backgrounds that you do as well. Yeah, and not even just drag. You know, it's rare to even see, you know, those representations of queer people on TV. And we have so many different stories and we're so different. You know, whether your experience is being a black queer person or an Asian queer person, you know, based on your racial background or just where you're from. Texan queens have it different than New York queens or Nebraska queen. And I hope that, you know, as an actor, more stories get written and told and expressed in television and film. And that's why I really hope to be able to take some time one day after my birthday schedule, <laughs> uh, to, you know, um, write and uh, share more stories because I think we have so many awesome stories and, and they can even be Oscar contenders. Look at Call Me By Your Name, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, an experience that's a lot different than mine, uh, mm-hmm. but also there are similarities in it as well. And it did super well. And there are so many good gay stories out there. That's why I want to like continue to work as an actor because I want to tell the stories. Shangela, tell people where they can find, you know, your new music, where you're on tour. 
That's right, baby. I am forever a professional, okay? Uh, they can check out all my tour dates on my website, Shanzo.com, which also has some really cool new merchandise for people to still be part of Team Hallelujah and Team Shangela. And, baby, cop that new single called Pay Me featuring Ryan Sky. It's currently on iTunes and Spotify. It's an upbeat, fabulous, Vogue-style dance song, and I want people to be death-dropping across the world. Great. Excellent. This has been Keep It. We'll be back next week. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.